in case you didn't know this about me, I am a kayaker. I'm a paddler, okay? And when the weather is warm, say April through October, I take one day a week and I go to my lake office and I pray and I just hear God better and I write out sermons and I read and I do that kind of stuff. This is my lake office from last year in September. Um, you can tell I'm getting older because I bring a chair with me now. In the olden days, I would just sit on the rocks. It was no problem. Now I actually pack a chair in the boat. On a lake, see how calm that water is? On a lake, this is why I, I do my God days on a lake. On a lake, the only thing that's going to kill you is a drunk guy on a jet ski. That's what's going to do you in on a lake. On a river, you don't need a drunk guy on a jet ski. The river is going to get you, okay? Um, and so as a paddler, and this, so here's a river that's really, really rushing and gushing. See all the protective gear this guy has? He's got elbow, pa he looks like a Marine ready to jump out of one of those attack helicopters, only it should all be black. This thing, uh, this thing in the blue thing in the middle, that actually has a name. It's called a PFD, Personal Flotation Device, okay? There's a joke among those of us who paddle regularly that really it should be called a BRD, a body recovery device, because what the PFD is going to do is it's just going to ensure that you float along the surface of the water, dead or alive, you're going to float along the surface of the water and go wherever the water takes you. The Kentucky River, now I, I, I'll paddle the Kentucky River in the summer because the Kentucky River is dammed up. It has a series of locks and dams along the course of the river so that we can all drink. You don't know where your water comes from. It comes from the Kentucky River. You should go down there sometime just to make that visceral connection. I'm drinking this, okay? The ones that are laughing have been to the river, <laughs> okay? So the Kentucky River, normally it's, I can paddle either direction. There is no current. But if there's been a big rain, uh, there's, there's most definitely a current. Last summer, a buddy, and I, a buddy named Frank, Frank and I decided we were going to paddle up the dicks, and it had been raining all week. And I'm doing this, and we get to this spot, and I'm like, whoa. And I look along the shore, and I realize that I'm simply not moving. Like paddling like this. According to the shore, I'm just standing still. And I look at Frank and I'm like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> we just gave up and let the river take us back. Um, this, is, uh, this is a rather fast-moving river right here. This thing here is called a root ball. And uh, a few years ago, in, an inexperienced paddler, she was a uh, middle school PE teacher. She went on the Elkhorn Creek. She wasn't wearing her PFD. She got pinned up against a root ball. The boat turned sideways, and the force of the water, she could not, she was a PE, I mean, totally fit, did marathons. She could not push herself free of the root ball, and she drowned. So when it's you, I, I say that to say when it's you versus the river, the river wins. The river wins every single time. So why am I telling you happy paddling stories on a Sunday morning? Well, 
because life is like a river. So we're like, oh man, this is, this is getting worse already. Well, now wait a minute. When you're young, when you're young, you say things like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be a veterinarian. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to graduate debt-free. I'm going to have five kids. I'm not going to have any kids. I'm leaving this town and never coming back. Like there are these things you say when you're young. And somewhere along the way, for a lot of people, they hit 30, 35 years of age, and they say, how did I get here? Like, this isn't anything that I thought when I was 20. Like, why am I here? Well, you were in a river, and the river just took you where the river takes people in that particular river. Um, think about some of the dreams that you had when you were younger, the things that you wanted to do. Some of you, I'm going to fall in love. And some of you are like, I am never falling in love. I've got a daughter right now. Never getting married, never having kids. And I'm like, go for it. Um, which, by the way, I know a lot of, this is a thing in churches where they make an altar of marriage. This isn't one of those churches. Married, single, God, you know, doesn't care about the decisions and choices and circumstances you find yourself in life. It's all pretty awesome because you're, all right, just wanted to make that. Um, some of us had these things when we were younger. I'm going to remodel the kitchen. We're going to build our dream home. I'm going to go travel or backpack Europe or I'm going to spend a month in Italy. Why you would do that, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people like doing that. What happened to some of those things? Now, for those of you that are students and teenagers... I want to say something to you, right? The choices and decisions that you make today will put you into a river, and some rivers have amazingly strong currents. Um, and that river is going to take you where the river takes you, regardless of where you intend to go. Um, some students, some young people I know, they have this mantra, I'm going to study really hard. I'm going to... And other students have a mantra which is, meh. <laughs> That's a decision. That's a river. It goes places. Some of you are like, I'm going to take my faith seriously, or eh, I'll take my faith seriously when I'm an adult. I've got plenty of time to figure it out. Again, choices. Uh, I know a ton of, I know uh, there's a lot of young people today, I'm going to spend every waking hour playing video games. I know this is awesome, but I only know a few people who have become gaming developers. I know a lot of people who are 30 working a job they don't particularly care for and gaming a lot on the weekends. Again, these are rivers, and rivers take you places. So I just don't want you to get swept away by one of the rivers that you may get plunked into. Um, God, by the way, does not lead people or drop people into raging rivers. Psalm 23, he leadeth me beside still waters, okay? So every now and then, and in case you missed today, where today's going, every now and then it's good to stop and think, stop and pray, stop and listen, so that you don't get swept away by some of the currents of life. In order to see the value of this, I want you to peer into the life of Elijah with me. I love Elijah the prophet. He, he's gotten ripped off. He really should have a book of the Bible. <laughs> he's just, I mean, he's, a, he's an amazingly huge guy, okay? Big time, big deal, Elijah the prophet. Elijah was a prophet of Israel. Israel, at that point, was the northern kingdom of the two kingdoms split, Israel and Judah, after their kind of civil war that didn't involve guns, weapons, or Abraham Lincoln, okay? So, um, so north and south, and Israel's the northern kingdom, and and 
Elijah was a prophet in that northern kingdom during the reign of Ahab, who was a despicable man. Just despicable. Uh, I won't even get into it. Elijah, by the way, literally means, my God is Yahweh. And it makes sense because his mission, his mission was to go around the, the nation of Israel and go, hey, don't worship Baal. Don't worship that. Oh, worship Yahweh. You worship the one true God instead. And his name, my God is Yahweh. I mean, he kind of lived up to his name. Uh, and so part of his mission, part of his task was to oppose Baal worship in Israel. Baal worship, Baal was the Canaanite god of uh, like rain and storm. It was a fertility god, okay? And so people were like, oh, we should cover our bets. We should totally do Baal. We'll do Baal on that. We'll do God on, you know, Sabbath day. It, it's all going to work out. Um, and so I, Elijah is such a big deal that in the book of Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, this is what God says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers toward their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. Well, that prophecy is fulfilled by John the Baptist, all right? Elijah, by the way, also appears with Jesus on the mount with Moses. So there's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus when Peter and John are up there and they're like, whoa, you're God, like, whoa, you know, and Elijah's there, okay? So big deal, big, big deal guy, okay? Elijah is clearly one of God's BFFs, if ever God had a BFF. Um, if there are people who rate, you know, if your name is mentioned alongside Moses, you're doing well, all right? And, and Elijah is that guy. So we're gonna be in 1 Kings chapter 17, I believe, 1 Kings 17, actually it's 1 Kings 19, my bad, 1 Kings 19, yeah, 1 Kings 19, so forget what it says there, it's 1 Kings 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Several important things have happened, okay? First, oh, that's actually, this is from 1 Kings 17, oh, that's where that is, okay, so well, I get confused sometimes, thank God it's Tuesday. Okay, so... Um, one of the things that happened to Elijah is that he was sent to this town, Zarephath, and there was a widow there who was out of food, and God miraculously kept replenishing the supply of flour and oil. And then the poor woman's uh, son dies, and she's like, great, you know, what a prophet are you? And boom, he prays a prayer, and the son comes back to life. Big deal, okay? Then uh, Elijah decides to have like a, American Idol contest between him and all of the prophets of Baal. And so 450 prophets of Baal get together. They decide on the rules of engagement. And the rules of engagement are, we're going to put this uh, calf, we're going to put this heifer um, on, uh, on a stack of wood. And one side's going to get a chance to pray to their God and see if the wood catches fire. And then the other side will get a chance to pray to their God and see if the wood catches fire. And of course, the prophets of Baal go on all day and nothing happens. And then Elijah tells them, well, pour a bunch of water on it. And then he prays his prayer and boom, you know. And so after, after this happens, there had been a tremendous drought in Israel because again, Baal is the God of rain and storm and God was trying to make a connection for the Israelites. So the whole time they were doing the Baal thing, there was a drought. <laughs> And then 
Elijah prays this prayer and he says, okay, open up the heavens and then torrential rain comes. Well, that makes the queen of Israel angry. Her name is Jezebel. And she was not only not a great woman in the sense of the decisions that she made, but uh, she was the head of the cult of Baal in Israel. She was kind of their patron, uh, patron, you know, not saint, but patron person for the cult of Baal. And so she says to, she t- sends word to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I'm, mark my words, I'm going to get you for this. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. And so, you know, Elijah's had several big things happen in his life. You know, the miraculous provision, the fire from heaven, the rain in heaven and opening up. So he just prays a prayer, God, strike her dead, and boom, God does it. No, actually, you know what happened? He ran for his life. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to, be in a, we're going to go verse by verse through some sections of 19. Okay, when Ahab got home, he's the king of Israel. He told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. You need to think of that in like a godfather type intonation, okay? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, okay? So Elijah, after, despite these big things that happened in his life, he runs. Can you, I mean, I don't know if, I read this story and I'm like, really? Really? I mean, the big stuff, the fire from heaven on the mountain, I mean, that's a big deal. I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't forget that. I'm pretty sure that I would trust God. At least I think I would, right? <laughs> and so he runs. He runs. This is 90 miles, 90 miles from Mount Carmel to Beersheba, the southernmost part of Israel. And by dismissing his servant in verse 3, he's basically saying, yeah, I quit. I quit. Prophet gig, (laughs) you can have it. I'm done. Verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. If you're looking for a life verse, no, I'm kidding. You don't make that right, <laughs> okay? He's exhausted. He's disillusioned. And he has a distorted perspective, doesn't he? When you're exhausted... When you're disillusioned, you may make decisions you later regret. Okay? Verses 5 and following. Then Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head were some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. God doesn't rebuke Elijah. He doesn't give Elijah a lecture. He gives Elijah two things, sleep and something to eat. Hey, gang, when you're disillusioned, 
and fatigued and tired, sleeping and eating is not such a bad thing. In fact, you could even make a case that it's spiritual. It's spiritual. And the funny thing is, the cake in the Hebrew, the stuff that, that God provides is the exact same thing that miraculously replenished itself in the town of Zarephath. So Elijah, it's in a sense, God is saying to Elijah, hey, remember? Remember me? Remember what I can do? Well, verses 9 and following. Uh, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down the altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Sense the ferocity there? Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Elijah has journeyed to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, the mountain where Moses met God, okay? Same place. And God asks, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Notice Elijah's response. You're going to find yourself at times in your life where God, in essence, is saying to you, what are you doing here? And you're going to be tempted to do. You have all these reasons why you're there, all this stuff that you tell God. But notice God doesn't say anything. God doesn't rebuke him. God gives him a vision of himself, a theophany where God whispers something. I'd love to know what's whispered. The text doesn't tell us. You would think that would be enough, right? I do. And Elijah replied again. Notice, it's the same thing. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. Even the theophany, even God, isn't it right? He's stuck. He's in the same place. The Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, son of, grandson of Mishi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Melalah. I can't pronounce that. To replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve, and here's the kicker, 7,000 others in Israel who have never bound down to Baal. Never bound down to Baal. Elijah says the same thing, and God sends him out with a task and says, okay, I want you to go do these things. And it involves other people. Elisha becomes a partner for Elijah. Um, and... God corrects Elijah. Is Elijah correct when he says, I'm the only one left? Nope. There's 7,000 people. Elijah's emotions, Elijah's perception of reality is not necessarily reality. 
So there are a few things that I want to draw out about this passage, okay? Our physical and emotional state impacts our life. It does. What we feel and think impacts our lives. But our feelings are not always reliable. We may feel them very, very strongly, and we may be very, very wrong. And lastly, the road to recovery is really the road of obedience. By Elijah saying, in essence, to God, okay, boss, and going back, in a sense, he finds his faith. <laughs> he, he's, ref he's refreshed. So let me ask a question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing in the current set of circumstances? Is, so for those of you that are older than, say, 30, is your current set of circumstances, this job, this town, this spouse, what you had hoped, imagined, dreamed when you were younger, or did you simply end up where the river carried you? And if so, what's the last clear thing God told you? What's the last clear thing God told you? Secondly, does your current lifestyle enable you to hear God's voice? God still speaks, gang. It, it, it didn't die out in the first century. I don't care what some Protestants say. God still speaks. He still speaks today. But he's not screaming. He's not writing things in the sky like, surrender, Dorothy. Like there's, you know, it's the small, quiet voice. I, here's what I know as a pastor. You don't want a major life event to be the means by which God grabs your attention to get you to focus on something he wants you to focus on. I know too many people in my life that have had cancer and disease and accident and relational explosions and all kinds of things be a means by which they're like, oh, no, you want to have the O oh before you get there because that's an O oh and an ow. Okay, there's a lot of ow. I don't want you to have the ow. So what can you do? How can you kind of have a bulwark so that you're not just finding yourself where Elijah was? I want to suggest several things. One is you got to have unrushed time for God. And yes, that includes Bible intake. I know, you're like, Bible, reading the Bible. Yes, yes, read this book. If you don't read, there are apps on your phone. You can listen to it on the way to work. But regular Bible intake. Um, I'm doing publicity.net uh, this year. I'm only doing a chapter a day. I'm not going to read the whole Bible. I'm getting highlights. But I'm in the Word for things unrelated to my teaching and preaching at Generations. God speaks through his word. Um, prayer, which is talking and listening. For me, I have to get outside. So when I'm outside or when I'm in the car by myself, I often don't listen to the radio at all. And I feel bad because sometimes I'm at a light and I'm talking to God and someone pulls up next to me, but I don't have a Bluetooth in my ear and I'm not on my phone. And it's, you know, awkward. You know, just so. <laughs> I have once or twice actually grabbed my phone and actually <laughs> pulled it up to my ear just because I felt, you know, I know maybe I'll get over that at some point. But you need unrushed time, okay? 
The second thing is be transparent with God and the key people in your life. There's no formula here, but you ought to be honest about where you are, what you feel, and what you want or need. And when you're honest about where you are, what you feel, or what you want or need, God's not going to be going, oh, wow, whoa, hey, Peter, get Jesus, quick, quick, quick. Did you know Max was upset? No, really? God does, ne God does never, he's never surprised by what you're feeling, <laughs> okay? It's not like he's, whoa, hey, you know, news. So it, you can be transparent. He already knows anyway. It's okay. So just be honest. And then last, submit. Submit to God. I, I call that, yes, sir. Okay, boss. Um, whatever you say, whatever you want, Yes. Elijah found this. He found recovery on the road to obedience. And you and I will do the same thing. So if you're whirling in a river that's carrying you places, obedience is a good way to get out of that river or have some kind of reprieve. Um, this is the way it played out in my life. For two years, I was going, I, I knew God wanted me to start a church and I was willing to go everywhere but California. God, I'll, I'll go anywhere and start this church as long as it's not in California. And, and I just, there wasn't any kind of breakthrough and I wasn't getting any kind of peace and I was getting more and more ugh, frustrated. And, and I remember I finally got to the point where I was like, fine, I'll go to California and I'll hate you the rest of my life, but I'll obey you, God. And then he was like, wonderful, Nicholasville. I was like, and you know what he wanted? He wanted to know that I was willing to do whatever he asked not just what I wanted him to do, right? God's that way. He wants to hear, yes, sir. So why is this important? Well, first of all, I know too many couples that like, uh, here's a perfect way this plays out, the rivers in life. We have a number of kids and we make our kids our whole lives and then our kids end up grown up and doing their own thing and we haven't nurtured our relationship with our spouse and we find ourselves at age 50 or whatever and we're like, who are you again? What do we have in common? right? It's a, it's a, it's a river, right? Uh, Jenny and I, in order to safeguard against that, Saturday mornings are our time. Like the guys at Generations go out for breakfast every Saturday. I never go out with them because, you know, and it's gotten to the point where Jenny and I, uh, we went to, what's one of these? Oh, Target. Yeah, the cheap furniture place and got these two cheap chairs because we can lock our bedroom door because sometimes the kids will, you know, want to talk about things on a Saturday morning. It's like, sorry, it's not your time. And so, you know, boom, that's part of it, okay? But that's, that plays out a number of different ways. I think you get that. Now, if you're a teenager, I would say, on the one hand, don't stress out about life, right? Let your life unfold. You know, you don't have to have the perfect ACT and get into the perfect school and all that, like, <laughs> okay? Breathe. Let your life unfold. On the other hand, on the other hand, you could end up places that you never, ever, ever intended to be simply because the river carried you there, because you never stopped to think, evaluate, listen. When I was a young man, uh, I was a graduate student at Wheaton College, and I was getting ready to go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, back then, in the 1980s, uh, if you were a Wheaton student, you went to one of two schools, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School or Fuller Theological Seminary. Those were the two choices. And I didn't want to go to California. <laughs> 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 I 
I'm okay with it now, but, you know, for a long time in my life, I was anti-California. Okay, so that took Fuller out, and so that left Trinity. And there was a guy in my life named Lyle. And Lyle basically said, hey, Max, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm going to, I'm going to Trinity, Lyle. It's what, it's what we do. We go to Trinity. He's like, I don't think God wants you to go to Trinity. I'm like, Lyle, listen, first of all, I know you have a beard, but you're not God. And secondly, you know, I know Trinity. I've already got a deposit there. And he kept prodding and pushing. He says, you know, I think you need to do something different. I think God wants to do something different with you. I think you need to, I think there's this school in Kentucky you need to consider. I'm like, I'm not going to Kentucky. I know what that is. That's like, that's not even part of civilization. Uh, forget that. Um, no offense to those of you born and raised here. Um, and so, and so I did. And I came, I came to visit and I felt God going, yeah. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I remember telling Jenny, and Jenny was, whoa, Kentucky, no. And then she had the same sense of, yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, hindsight being 2020, if, if Lyle hadn't asked the, what are you doing? If I hadn't stopped and actually tried to listen to God in that moment, um, I would have gotten into a river that would have carried me. I would have been a... I still wear bow ties, but I would have been a church choir, traditional, expository preaching. Lost people are great as long as they do the things we do the way we want them to do them before they come here, kind of a pastor. And I realized that in Lyle doing that thing and me actually stopping, I got out of one river and got into something different. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did because... You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of the fact that any, we'll let anybody in. That's scary and awesome, all wrapped, up in, <laughs> all wrapped up into one, okay? So what I'm saying is really stop and think, right? I ended up here. Who knows where, you're in, where you will end up? Stop and think. Stop and pray. Stop and listen, 